There's a, there's a quote from an author who says this. He says, in the name of God, stop what you're doing, cease your work, and look around you. I love that. And I love this morning we get a chance uh, to sit in church and to talk about what I think is one of the most important conversations these days, which is mental health. Uh, as you just heard, my name's Brett. Uh, I'm actually here with my wife, uh, Dawn. She's out back. Uh, my background is education. I was a teacher for around a decade, uh, mostly in the Melbourne community of Scarborough, just sort of south of here. I left teaching, I think it's 16 years ago, to do this. And this is my job, even though a lot more of my job is on Zoom these days. Uh, I did a program called the Arrow Leadership Program and went straight into a Master's of Evangelism and Leadership uh, down at a school called Wheaton in Chicago. Um, I'll just let you see my family. Uh, so my wife's out back, my two kids, Zoe's in her second year at Western, and my son Ben is in his first year at Queens, and I know there's a few of his friends in the audience, I can't see where, but they're here. Uh, so I, my heart goes out to students today. I mean, whether you're missing elementary school, middle school, both my kids lost proms and grads, and now they're missing you know, university, college years. Uh, this image, though, is what I want to begin with today. While I was doing my master's, my life became unsustainable. Uh, a normal speaking docket for someone other than COVID years, uh, like me, is around 120, 130 dates a year. Uh, and then I began to take a master's in Chicago. So now I'm an international student, even though it's only a 55-minute flight. So now I'm paying a lot of money. So my speaking dates went to about 275 to 300%, 100% unsustainable. And then I began, you know the term intervention? I always thought I'd be the person intervening, not being the person being intervened on, if I'm saying it correctly. And my friends, my family, my board of directors would sit me down and say, you have to, you have to slow down. And I said over and over again, March 1st, 2012, because that's the day I graduate. And I did. February 28th, I got my message. I passed my last course, and that was the last night I slept through the night. I woke up two hours early the next morning, which is weird. I mean, I had younger kids at the time. I'm not sleeping in, but like five was a little different. Over many months, five became three, became two, became, and if anyone doesn't sleep, you know what it's like. You're just lying in bed all night feeling weird. Then I began to have, I don't even know what to call it. I call it weirdness. I was speaking at a church in Woodstock. Uh, four or 500 students came out for a regional speaking date, and I did what I've always done. I'm six foot six. I would usually be walking across the front and right in the middle of walking across the front, my life changed in a moment. Suddenly the back of my mind was speaking and the front of my mind was like, I'm going to pass out. How do you gracefully pass out in front of, like, do you just fall over? Do I go down to one knee? Like I finished my talk, went to my doctor. He said, you have anxiety. I said, no, I speak on anxiety. He said, no, no, you have anxiety. It was just kind of weird conversation. Put me on a few things and I thought it was better. I wasn't. Started having panic attacks in Camrose, Alberta, and fled the speaking date and went to my hotel and flew home. And it all kind of uh, finished. I was speaking at Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp, some of you might know that, in Coburg, and coming out of a McDonald's with my family, and I suddenly kind of cried out for my wife. I thought I was being hit by a car, but what was happening was is I was three feet past the drive-through, falling into a parked car. My equilibrium was gone. She walked me to the car, I didn't leave the cottage all week, I didn't leave my house for roughly five months and didn't work for an entire year. It's 2022. I still don't sleep, I still have panic attacks, I still struggle with anxiety. While I was at home, this image of a million roads in a million directions was the response of people that I know. They would come in and sit across from me like Job's friends and say, have you tried? One person said, have you tried running? And I'm like, I haven't made it to my mailbox, which is 107 steps, and they're like, but have you tried running? 
And the next person would say, have you tried Jesus? And I would say, what do you mean by that? And they're like, you know, Jesus. I'm like, I know Jesus. What do you mean by have I tried Jesus? Like it's a chocolate bar and I'm supposed to take a bite. And then they'd leave and I would pray, God, have I not tried you enough? What does that mean? And the next person would say, have you tried vitamin D? Million roads in a million directions. My wife said to me one day, what would you do if you ever spoke again? And I said, I don't think I'm ever going. And she says, what would you do if you ever did speak? And I said, I'd love to have a conversation on mental health. Something that's biblical and practical. Those words are not oxymorons. And, and, and that's where this beginning of this hope for the walking wounded conversation began. This morning, we have a short period of time. My goal is really simple. I want to be a catalyst to spark you to move forward in these discussions, whether it's for you. And I know there's people in every talk of every age. It's often we talk about this of how do we as parents help our kids, of course, but there's many of us my age and older and younger who struggle. How do we help the people we care about? And I do want to have a beginning conversation on prevention. Not that we can prevent everything, but we can begin that. So here's the outline. And I know today's a bit unorthodox, and that's okay. I mean, what affects one of us affects all of us. We sing, we're the family of God, we're a community, and this is something we need to walk through. Mental health versus mental illness. First steps, meaning if you're unwell, I literally want to give you like the first chess piece move to move forward. Where does your faith play a role? Give you some practical application, and then we're done. And I hope we're not done. I hope that at Springvale, this, this sparks conversations in your small groups, in your church family, right? As, as you begin to look at how can we as a church be better for the people around us and ourselves. I used to end with this quote, now I put it at the beginning. Stephen Grekovich in his book, Mental Health in the Church says, herein lies one of the most pervasive misunderstanding regarding mental illness. The misunderstanding is that God spares this kind of pain and suffering from those with deep and abiding faith. Which means if I'm struggling, I therefore don't have deep and abiding faith. When we don't understand mental illness, we don't understand how it affects people. We don't understand how it affects how we worship, how we do family, how we do life, how we work and do other things. So mental health versus mental illness. Uh, when I say I struggle with mental health, none of you would say, oh, I guess he has seasonal affective disorder. You all know what I mean by that. But mental health is actually uh, defined by the World Health Organization. It's a state of well-being in which every individual realizes their potential. You can cope with normal stresses in life, work productively and fruitfully, make a contribution to your community. Every one of you here today has mental health just like every one of you here today has physical health. And as a side note, just because you feel blah right now in COVID doesn't mean you're depressed. The term I hear today, which I agree with, is that we are languishing. I really like that term. We're kind of languishing in this COVID season. Now, long-term poor mental health can lead to mental illness. Mental illness, diagnoses, not by you, not by WebMD, right? Your doctor, your psychiatrist, someone. Anxiety disorders, depression, a mental illness significantly affects how we feel, think, behave, and interact with other people. And if you put these things together, it's an interesting chart. Even though I have high mental illness, even in this journey, I can have high and good mental health. Just like if you're struggling with cancer or something else, you might have poor physical health, but you can still have good mental health. I just leave that. It's an interesting thought for you to walk through. Now, there are a lot of risk factors and causes of mental health. And I just say as a side note, everything I say today, it's been interesting through COVID. I find, I mean, you're on, if we're ever online, whatever you post, people take and they, you know, it's an argument. Everything I say today, I say with an open hand. 
If you think I'm wrong, please come and see me out back and say, here's what I think is wrong and we can together, like it says in Matthew 18, walk through this conversation together. But in the things we agree on, unity, and the things we disagree on, liberty, but in all things, love. But the truth is mental health is huge. There's no simple conversation. I mean, some of us have a predisposition to mental health. It's in your genetics. Some of us have had traumatic events in life, burnout or breakdown, which I think is part of my journey, isolation and loneliness, which was huge pre-COVID, which is unbelievably huge now, chronic unwellness. We do better, I think, with people who struggle for a few weeks or a few months. We don't know what to do with people who are chronically unwell. Substance use and abuse, social media, Now, I think we have this idea sometimes that all issues we struggle with with mental health come from our smartphones. And the truth is, it's just not true. Do smartphones play a role? Sure they do, but is it the only answer? No. Every time my Apple Watch taps me, every time I get a notification, I get a dopamine hit to my brain, the neurotransmitter, every time I get that, right, it's the happy drug. But what do half a million dopamine hits do to a human? We don't know. Students, you are the petri dish, you are the test case, and here's what we're finding. It's not good. Especially young teenage girls have the highest Ill, like, anxiety conversations we've ever seen, but other things have changed as well. Incredible pressure and stress. Our diets, right? A lot of processed, boxed, McDonald's, the list goes on. Lack of sleep, it could come from postpartum, could come from concussions, and how are you parented? Thursday night, uh, we've now switched this to Zoom, but I'll be doing my talk, Parenting, Navigating, Everything. Parents, when you overfunction, your kids will underfunction. They then are not prepared to go to college, university, apprenticeships, even high school. There's so much in this conversation. We as Canadians began to talk about mental health. I think it was around 12 years ago, if I'm correct, when McLean's Magazine polled 1,600 students at U of A. University of Alberta is in Edmonton. Look at these statistics. 51% felt life was hopeless. Uh, 62 lonely, 66 sad. Over a third are so depressed it's difficult to function. Half felt overwhelming anxiety. Whether I'm in St. John's, Newfoundland or Victoria, British Columbia, every church, every school, every business, these are the statistics we see today. Now I'd put forth a weird kind of statement, but I think we give people a different set of rules in our churches for mental struggles, mental health, mental uh, illness struggles, than we do for physical ones. Meaning if you have cancer or if you have diabetes, we say these things, but if you have mental health, we say different things. Look at the comic on the left. Person's throwing up in a toilet. Have you tried, you know, not having the flu? Said no one ever to someone who's sick with the flu. Said often to those of us who have anxiety. Like if we could think our way out of it, We would have. It's like you're not even trying to stop bleeding. Or the one on the right, which is a person giving themselves an insulin shot for diabetes. I don't think it's healthy you have to take medication every day just to feel normal. Don't you worry it's changing you from who you really are. If we want to begin as a place, as a church, let's just begin at this place. We all have the right to be able to move forward to get better, right? Just a equal foundation. You want to know the number one question Christians ask me, which I never get in the mainstream public? Brett, I love Jesus. What about medicine? It was a number of years ago, uh, I got diagnosed uh, with Lyme disease. Some of you know Lyme, some of you don't. I don't have any idea when I got bitten by a tick. They think it was when I was a young adult living in the rainforest of Belize, no idea. But when I got diagnosed, uh, I had to go on a large 
kind of batch of antibiotics, and I posted online, I would love your prayers, I am not well. Hundreds of people wrote me privately, personal, like, you know, privately online, our churches are praying for you. No one wrote me and said, Brett, you're a Christian, you shouldn't take meds. Eight, nine years ago when I was on meds, call them psychotropic, whatever you want, for depression and anxiety, I posted the same message, hey, I'm not well, I'd love your prayers, I haven't worked in many months. Many people, churches, wrote and said, I'm praying for you, but what no one saw was the private messages. Dozens and dozens and dozens who said this, if you take medication, you're not a Christian anymore. Let that sink in for one second. We've now taken taking medication and made it like, you know, it's the Trinity, we believe in the resurrection and not taking meds is the foundation of Christian faith. You think, I call it whack-a-mole. You've all seen that game, right? The mole and you whack it. Like, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. So if you have a differing view on this, here's what I say. If, if after my three-second conversation on medication, now, let me also say this. I hope you never have to go on medications. I think we too quickly go on medications. I agree. There's other things we should do, but if you need to go on medications, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Now, the rest of that quote says, but it's not okay to stay that way. That's fine for certain things, but some of us don't, are not able to just be better. So there's kind of a nuance to that. But if you think, Brett, I think meds are always wrong. My response is, that's okay. You and I can have differing opinions and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. I think you're wrong. And we can have a debate on that. But all I would say is, don't whack-a-mole other people who are looking and trying to get better. Now, statistically, as a side note, 20 to 30, 35% are the stats of meds helping people. It's not a silver bullet. And if you do need to go on meds, go to inagene.com, in a gene. Like they literally take a DNA test and say, maybe try these meds and don't try these. How do you know if someone's struggling? I can't this morning go, all right, front row, you, you. Like that's not how it works, right? It's not, I can't look at you. It's in here, it's in here, it's how you feel. And so, uh, some thoughts. Number one, uh, it could be changes in eating or sleeping patterns. We as parents can see this. You can see this as students with your friends. I had a parent, I had numerous parents throughout COVID uh, would say to me this, Brett, my teenagers going to bed at midnight or one, I, I guess then they have struggles. And I'm like, no, they're probably a normal teenager. It's the normal circadian rhythm of a teenager to go to bed at 12 or one. And that's why many schools have switched high school to 10 a.m., we forget, like I'm 50, at 10 o'clock I'm like, I'm ready for bed, like I'm heading upstairs where my kids would be heading outside. Could be an issue, probably not. Social isolation and withdrawal, this is what so many are doing. But do we know it's because of COVID or has it become maybe kind of a bit of social anxiety, mood changes, did anyone not feel this way this week? Were you just frustrated? Not able to function, if this is your friends or you, we need help, right? We need to figure out how we can come alongside you and journey with you, being the hands and feet, right? This is how we do this. Apathy, loss of desire to do things. I believe the two, this is this languishing idea as we walk through COVID. Substance abuse has grown, and please don't say, we're Christians, we don't have this in the church. The number of people who say, Brett, I can't get through my day without alcohol or drugs. Pornography has grown by the hundreds of percents, even in our Christian world. This is often called self-harm, hurting yourself to get beyond, beyond overwhelming feelings, thoughts, and emotions. People who are self-deprecating when you see family or friends saying really negative statements to themselves. And how about just no signs? 
And this is the toughest one at all, where we have to really, right, ask good questions and be in each other's lives. And I always just say, it's good to check in with each other. If you have young kids, use an emoji check-in. It's easy for them to say, kind of by pointing to an emoji. So we are flying through this. I get it. First steps. This is chaos, and so what I love is structure. I'm very pragmatic. I love body, mind, and soul. Every church I've ever attended, I grew up at Bayford Baptist. Uh, my wife and family and I attend um, Sanctus Church uh, in Ajax. Every church, both of them have said this, meeting the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of our community. I, I love that. Your issue might be physical, so go see a family doctor, and we're gonna break that out in a second. Your issue might be emotional, psychological. Go see a registered therapist. Now. Language is so important. You're waiting for me to say it might be spiritual. I don't say that because it's unbelievably uncommon that the answer to mental illness is your faith. But, and here's where language is right, our faith is the foundation from which we journey everything in life. So your faith is that bedrock which you walk through these journeys. And I'm an and person, not an or. It's not your doctor or a therapist or Jesus. It's probably gonna be all of those. During COVID, I did weeks upon weeks of mental health talks and probably a dozen pastors wrote me after and said, I hear what you said about body, mind, and soul. Isn't the answer just Jesus? And a few of them said, dot, 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 or maybe it's Satan. And I'm like, those are very diametrically different answers you're throwing out. When people say that, I kind of have this image of the church just packing up and moving farther away from its people or the mainstream world. We talked about all the reasons you might struggle. If the issue is traumatic events, maybe the answer is trauma counseling. If the issue is social media, maybe we decrease how much social media we have. If the issue is overparenting, maybe we properly a kid, equip our children for life. Now, this is all done under the lens of a biblical worldview, and it's so easy to say it's a lot of work to do. I'm at a talk pre-COVID, and someone asked in the Q&A, do Christians have less struggles with mental health? Wow, that's a good question. So my answer immediately was, I kind of thought, hmm. I think if we're talking physical health, we may drink less, we may smoke less. Uh, and so, and I know smoking means different things to students, uh, to adults, but like, we have less of that, and so maybe less illnesses that come from that. But overall, like, we don't have less brain aneurysms. I don't think we have less schizophrenia, bipolar, or anxiety. So I said, no. And I go home and I research and I'm wrong. But it's not what we might think. It's not like you come to church today and you meet Jesus and you're better. It's that we as Christians do, and the term religiosity, we always take as a negative term. They're talking about how it's Sunday. For, like there's many of you here, I know there's many of you at home as well, but it's this, we meet together, we do small groups, we're, right, we're, there's this isolation thing we combat and that's what kind of is protective for us. So my journey, and I'm not gonna walk through all of it, but this was the physical things I did. I had, a blood work, I, I, I had a physical done. I have lots of blood work done. I, I'm a big fan of what's called functional integrative medicine. Doctors, naturopaths, all the things together. So I have probably 12 to 15 vials of blood every three months. Sleep specialist. Anybody been to a sleep specialist? Quick show of hands if I can see. There's always a few. If you've been to one, you know what they do. You go to, it's usually like a business office and they stick electrodes all over you and they're like, good night, and you sleep in a bed in a room. In the morning, I said to the doctor, can you fix me? And he said, nope. And I looked down, you know that discouraged? And he, he kind of, he didn't like touch my chin to look up, but he goes, look at me. He goes, this is good. You don't want a sleep issue. Tick it off your, he said, or scratch it off your list of things that might be. It was one of those aha moments of kind of 
my journey and trying to figure out what it is. A friend of mine, youth pastor in Alberta, has been off work for not the same time as me, months and months as months. His church is a, not an and, it's an or church. It, they said, do not do medicine, do not do doctors, do not do counseling, it's only faith. We will continue to pray for you, you will be better. Months and months and months in, he calls me, he is not well. I said, what's your biggest issue? He said, sleep. I said, dude, just go to a sleep clinic. So he goes, in the morning he looked at the doctor and said, can you fix me? And the doctor said, yeah. He said, you have the worst sleep apnea I've ever seen in my entire career. He put him on, a, I call them Darth Vader machines, BiPAP, CPAP machines. He's better in one day. Have you ever not slept before and you suddenly sleep? Now, he went in as a pastor and the lead pastor kicked him out and sent him home, good for him. But like, he slept, well, like these are control the controllables. If I'm not currently on medicine, and I say that even though I carry Ativan with me everywhere I go, if I was to come on stage and began to have a panic attack, I might take one, it just brings me down. Naturopath, I still have one, nutritionist, referrals, allergists, the three main things here, exercise. How many times does the scriptures talk about your body is the temple, running the good race, physical analogies? And so exercise, when? I'd say every day. Right now it might mean you go for walks, you do some kind of class on YouTube, but exercise every day, and if you struggle with anxiety like me, it is a non-negotiable. Build it into your day. Sleep better. Sleep is the foundation. Have you ever heard if you wanna feel better tomorrow, sleep better tonight? I have a YouTube video with 20 ways you can work at having better sleep and eat better. I'm not saying go become vegan or keto or whatever diet. I'm just saying eat better. I'm at a talk just before COVID. Someone yells out, how much better? And I'm like, I could have put, that was like a plant. And I said, 5%. One of my favorite books is Atomic Habits by James Clear. 5% is a joke. You can all eat 5% better this week. And for food, food is often the culprit or the cure. I'll leave that one with, it's an interesting line to kind of think of. While I was doing this, I went to see my, my counselor, who's a psychologist, he gave me perspective on my life. We walked through things together. I saw a psychiatrist, now someone would say, Brett, doesn't psychiatry come from a different worldview than we have as Christians? Good question, yes. But everything quote unquote secular is not bad, everything quote unquote Christian is not good, right? We have to put it through a sieve, like it, should we say yes, should we say no? If you like these debates, Google a gentleman named Ed Stetzer with a Z. He runs Lifeway Research in the US. They debate Christianity and science and, and mental health. And not lastly, this isn't one, two, three, it's like three circles, our faith. Your faith is the foundation, right? Spiritual disciplines, read, pray, fast, study, give, volunteer. These are the things we do. We have musical worship, right? We get teaching, we do these things throughout the week. It's the foundation. Our circumstances will never alter the character of God. God is God and we are not. So how about in these moments, we just say, God, you know, what can I learn in these seasons? And remember, I'm saying about building your faith. I'm not saying it will necessarily fix your situation, even though God is with us in all situations. And I would also add in, whether we feel it or not. Because when we are unwell sometimes, we don't feel connected to anyone. When I'm in a public environment, I can't talk about your faith and spiritual disciplines. I use these, but these are still good for us. Well-being, purpose, volunteering, gratitude. How about have a gratitude jar? where you put in all the things that, are, you know, had a great church service, had a great lunch, went for a great walk, and then at the end of the year in December, you pull them out and read through them, especially for those of us who struggle with depression or anxiety or other kind of unwellnesses, we kind of look at the world with a stained set of glasses, right? Everything's bad. 
Everything's not bad. There are good things. Mindfulness will come back to the spoons analogy is an interesting one. It's just like if you're unwell, you only have so many spoons to give for the day. Like if I have five spoons, give them to work, family, church, those things that matter. So how does your faith play a role? Do we trust God is who he says he is? If I get better, is God God? Yes. If I never get better, is God still God? Yes. We have these ideas sometimes like God is God if we're better, but if we're not, I spent a lot of years trying to understand why, and the why answer is not easy. And then I read a book by a gentleman named Richard Winter who wrote uh, When Life Goes Dark. He says there's five reasons we suffer. The first three are the biggest. Number one, we're caught up in a fallen world and we are deeply affected by it. It was a number of years ago, one of my board members died of a heart attack at 41. His wife is lupus. Have you ever just said, God, I don't understand. He was her caregiver. We're in a fallen world. We're deeply affected by it. We're in the now and the not yet. We're not in the, right? We're not in heaven where we're all better. We are in this place, the now but the not yet. Number two, we live with the effects of others' sins. If any of you uh, know the name Warren Parker, he was one of my best friends growing up, another Baptist church in Pickering. He was killed by a drunk driver 17 years ago last week, if I'm correct. We live with that forever. All his family, his wife, his friends, Someone made a decision, we live with that. We live with our own sinful nature. I said, everyone who told me, slow down, I'm like, I'll be fine. I was wrong. And I always wish I could go back and do it over, but there's a fallacy in that because I believe I probably had a predisposition. Whether I was teaching, whether I was speaking, whether I did my master's or I didn't, I still think I would probably struggle. Now, number four and number five are ones we just have to be very careful how we word them. Like, number four, there is a spiritual realm. And some churches talk about it too much, some talk about it too little, but there is a spiritual realm. There's a great book if you want to begin um, called The Bondage Breaker. The other time I said it was from Neil Anderson or Neil Armstrong, very different. Neil Armstrong was on the moon, Neil Anderson wrote a book. And then God's discipline, and I do not say God's disciplining you by giving you a disease or something. I think that's what's called a hurtful hermeneutic. So which ones of these might be me now? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's probably a mix of a whole bunch of these, but I do know that I could have never sat here before my breakdown and had a conversation like I can have now. You could, if you're unwell, I would encourage you to print off Thomas Merton's Prayer of Abandonment. Put it up all over your house. To paraphrase, God, I have no idea what's going on, but I will trust you. And I began reading uh, about a year and a bit ago the Beyond Suffering Bible. It's a Bible translation looking at it through the lens of suffering. Joni Erickson Tata, some of you know that name, really, really great. So what did I need? I needed people to sit with me, to listen to me, but I got a lot of things. Now I'm gonna put up a slide, and can I just say, None of this is shame. None of this is condemnation. Maya Angelou once said, do the best you can until you know better, and when you know better, do better. So we've, most of us have never been trained what to say or not say. So when I put these up, you don't need to go, oh, I, I've done this before. We all have, so have I. But I'm just gonna encourage you maybe not to do it again. So the first one is really debatable. Everything happens for a reason. I disagree with this. I don't think it's biblical or true. I think it's actually more Islam with determinism than it would be Christian faith. Now, we can debate that all day. Even if you believe this is true, I would still say if someone is unwell, to go to them and say everything happens for a reason is not 
helpful in that moment. You leave and they're like, or they say to you, well, what reason? And you're like, I don't know. And then you leave and then they're like, God, what's the reason? God must have something amazing planned. By the way, he might. But maybe don't say to someone on their darkest day, God's doing this to you. I've had hundreds of people say to me, are you still reading your Bible? Think that one through. What they're saying is, I stopped reading my Bible, so God is punishing me for it. Statistics say 90% of Christians don't even open the scriptures from week to week. Like, we need to get back into the scriptures, but this idea that if you stop reading, God does it to you. Again, hurtful hermeneutic. I've had hundreds of people tell me, God told me what's wrong with you. One lady said, you have lead paint poisoning from all your third world travels to speak. And I'm like, I live in Hampton Inns when I travel. I like their breakfast and I speak predominantly in Canada and a bit in the US. God won't give you more than you can handle. Is not in the Bible. God won't tempt you more than you can handle. Is in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 8 to 11. Paul says and his companions, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We have more than we can handle, right? Like, but if we have more than we can handle, we lean back on God. If you need any help, let me know. Here's what I mean. Someone once wrote in a book, uh, Amy Simpson wrote a book, uh, Troubled Minds, and in it she says that mental health is a non-casserole illness. So a number of years ago, I fell off my bike and I broke, I've never broken a bone in my body, I broke eight bones, like basically everything on this side. People, people right away, can we bring you meals? I'm at home with mental health struggles. Very few, it's interesting, right? So don't say to someone, if you need a lasagna, let me know. If you need something, let me know. Say, I wanna bring you a meal, what day's best? I wanna go for coffee with you, which day this week works? Is there sin in your life? And I'm always like, yeah. Then they don't know what to say. Because you get that vein of thinking. Have you tried praying? Of course, Satan and the demonic, you will be okay. You don't know that they will be okay. Here's what you can say. How are you today? I can answer today. But like, my favorite is actually a friend of mine at church and every once in a while he says, I got five minutes, tell me about your health journey. Like, wow, I love that. It, it's a time limit, I know what you're asking me. Say I'm praying for you, but actually do it. How on earth in our church world has praying for you become like we should do lunch? Because if I say we should do lunch and we walk away, we're not doing lunch. If I say I'm praying for you, I'm taking your name, your email, I'm putting it in. I use an app called Evernote and I put your information in and text you to see how you're doing. Say I'm sorry you're going through this. Say something, say anything. And this kind of is like the one on the right. Like ask how your struggle is going. You know how many people in my life never ask me how I'm doing? One of my friends said to me after not talking to me for about a year and a half, he said, your journey terrified me. I'm like, I'm sorry, like, what do I reply to that? I'm sorry, like, I know my journey might scare you. We're the same age, We're, we both have similar families and stuff, but like, it would have been nice if you just talked to me during it. I'm at a church in Alberta, and I'm talking to a youth pastor, and I think it was a children's pastor, worship pastor comes down, and I know she's had breast cancer, and I say, hey, how's your breast cancer? She bursts out crying. Youth pastor punches me in the arm and says, you can't ask someone about their breast cancer. She looks at him and says, he's the first person to ask me in two years. How? How on earth are we the church and no one in a multi-thousand person church has looked at you and said, how are you? How is no one journeying along with you in that journey? Let me just say, you can ask anyone how they're doing. Anyone, with any issue. They may cry, 
That's okay sometimes, right? You're not hurting them. You're, you're remembering someone who passed or asking about the miscarriage or the loss that they've had. Now, for those of us sometimes who are asked, we might say in that moment, thank you so much for asking. I'm not in a place today I can answer you. I'm gonna get back to you in a week, right? It, it's kind of this dance we both have to play. And the last one says shawarma. You're like, what? Shawarma's healing? Yes. Darkest day of my life. My family is gone, my wife's a nurse, she's gone, my kids are in school, I'm sitting on my family room floor, Alice in Wonderland, my mind's going down the rabbit hole. One of my board members, his wife calls and says, hey, do you wanna, she goes, eh, I'm bringing you a shawarma. If you're ever in Ajax, go to a place called Pita Delights. Christian family from Nazareth. If words like Bubba Ganoush, hummus, and tabbouleh fill your soul, this is the place to go. She passes through the door, she says, God bless, I'm praying for you. I, sit on the floor and I take a bite. And I remember smiling and just say, wow, there's something about food. I'm not better. Do you know what I miss most from my Baptist roots many years ago? Potluck Wednesdays. You know why? Because we sat and chatted. And it was always me and my buddy's grandmother and my friend's sister. Like it was just this, we had a chance just to eat together. Second Corinthians 1.3, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I have a 20 video uh, YouTube series, very quick, just on how we have good mental health during COVID. I'm not walking through all of them, I'm just going through a few. Number seven, bottom left, just says breathe. There's a term called mindfulness, and often in the church sometimes, people push back and say, isn't that new age? And I'm kinda like, new age is an older word, but this is just breathing. If you are anxious, you're breathing off. You're probably breathing upper chest and not your belly. You need to learn how to breathe properly. There's apps like Calm and Headspace. Side note, this is not meditation. We are not like just being quiet in front of the Lord. That's not, this is just breathing to calm you down. I try to do this at least once a day. If you like science, read the book, Oh, Herbert Benson, uh, The Relaxation Response. It's just talking about how if we breathe calmly, over time our body might be calmer. Uh, Grace and Mercy, number bottom left. I'm going through a McDonald's last summer and in front of me is a guy with a Jesus fish in his car. You know those, right? If you're gonna put a Jesus fish in your car, you better not be screaming at the 15-year-old girl behind the counter. I pull up, weeping teenage girl, and I said like, on behalf of humanity, I'm so sorry. Grace and mercy during this season with parents with young kids, with kids who are not back at school, with people who are like, grace and mercy for all of us. Some thoughts and we're done. If what you're doing isn't working, choose something else. If what medication you're doing is not working, see your psychiatrist or your doctor. If the counselor is not working, go find another one. By the way, I believe in counseling so much, I'm actually in school to be a counselor, to be a registered psychotherapist. I'm half done, because I want to add that to what I do. But if what you're doing isn't working, find something else. Bruce Coburn, anyone my age remember Bruce? Bruce is now leading worship in California, as a side note. He sings this, uh, to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. This is a fight, and so my encouragement today is to fight. I see so much apathy, so much just sitting and waiting when there's things that we can do. And I say again, do the best you can until you know better, and then when you know better, do better. Some resources, and we're done. Uh, there's an amazing website that the Canadian government put out. Uh, it's called Wellness Together, but they don't have wellnesstogether.ca, uh, ca.portal.gs. 
There is group therapy and there's things and, and uh, studies you can fill out, like surveys, it's really great. My website's just my name. Uh, I have some cards on my table, which is just on the other side of this. But my website's just breadalman.com and this is a landing place. I have everything that I've ever done in the last seven, eight years on here, like 1,300 blogs and articles divided by category, but mental health is the biggest. On top is my social media. We need a better relationship with our phones. I'm currently researching a new talk on media, but one thing I suggest you do is you make social media work for you. And what I mean by that is, um, what I do, whenever I hear a pastor I enjoy, a thought leader, an author, a speaker, I go to their social and I follow them on everything. So later this afternoon when I'm watching football and I open Facebook for a second, I don't just want dinner and dogs. And I always kind of laugh and say, I do like, I have an English bulldog, I like certain dogs, but like, I don't just want that. I want rich content on my faith and how to grow my family and how to be, you know, how to grow my mental health, like how to be better in these things. I have a ton of YouTube videos on mental health. One of my largest things I do on YouTube is mental health. I have two videos, one to take before you take meds, one to take after you take meds. And I have kind of an odd one called my 10 books on habits, change theory, and personal growth. Again, I would encourage you to read James Clear's Atomic Habits. Why? We know we need to read our Bibles more. We know we need to pray more. We know we need to right, be in community more and do all of these exercises and sleep. And this is showing us try to find a way to do it. Every talk I have is available on YouTube. We do have them in DVDs out back as well. And um, recently, I was able to put every... Um, it's called an Amazon influencer page. I don't like that term, but I like that I can put every book I suggest in every category on one link. So whether it's parenting or sexuality or drugs and alcohol or mental health, you can find it all here. Uh, I do suggest a few books. The first one is Two Pastors and Leaders, Mental Health in the Church. The next two, Anxiety Phobia Workbook, which is this thick, uh, is really for people wanting to journey, like you know, looking at medications, looking at sleep. And there's one for teens, which is a lot thinner. And one of my favorites is Dr. Greg Wells' The Ripple Effect, he's from Toronto. Sleep better, eat better, move better, think better. These are just foundations that help us in everything. I've written five books. My first two on media are getting older. Uh, my Your Story, The Wounding Embrace is one I wrote before my breakdown. This is what eating disorders are, depression, self-harm. Uh, and I wrote that with Adam Clark, who's a pastor at People's Church in Toronto, and Dr. Mary Lynn, who's a psychologist. And then my book, Reset, is my breakdown put in book form, which sounds weird, but people just said to me, I've never heard a Christian's perspective on a breakdown. And I'm like, you know what? Neither have I. Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero might be the only other book I read, but I posted my journey. Uh, some friends and family posted theirs. Some of you might know the name Kerry Newhoff. Kerry posted his burnout journey. And then journeys of postpartum and other things, leading, like suffering, leading to you know, hope and healing. And I released a book during COVID, which I don't still know if that was a good idea or not, but I did. Um, this was a three-year journey. One thing, I think I, as I get older, I want one resource for people. So this isn't a book, this is a handbook. It's six times bigger than any book I've ever written. First six chapters are for parents. It's the talk I'll be doing on Thursday night. Progression of parenting, parenting styles, communication, but the rest of the chapters are written to anyone. Meaning you, you could walk through mental health for you or your kid. You're 15, you could read that chapter as well. Two slides and we're done. My counselor once said to me, put this beside your bed or beside your office, great courage with great care. And I'm like, wow, I love that. 
I know you, like me, some of you get up and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to survive my day. Great courage. Get up. Do what you need to do. Do what you need to do for your family, for your job, for your faith. Do those things. And then great care. And this is what we have to learn and help each other. What are those things that give us great care? Our devotional times, going for a walk at Heber Downs, whatever it might be for you, find those things. The goal this morning was to take chaos and to help you journey and begin to walk towards hope and healing in your journey, whatever it might be, in the ideas of body and mind and soul. If you want to chat, I'll be back at my booth. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about a topic like mental health today, and I hope it's given you some tips and ideas and thoughts of how we as Christians can journey this tough topic. Thank you so much. Have a good day.